Wow, it's good to see you all today. And uh, thanks for all of you who've joined us for worship up in Saratoga, Half Moon, and Latham. You know, I believe that American people in general are very much into heroes. We love to take the women and men who are sort of pioneers or accomplish great things, and we love these rugged individualists who kind of take center stage and go down in history as legends. For instance, we, we love to praise the efforts of someone like uh, quarterback Tom Brady, and we talk about the wonderment the wonderment of winning seven Super Bowls. Or maybe <clears throat> you like the History Channel like I do, and you look at a show like The Titans Who Built America, and you see all of these people who accomplished awesome things, and we write about them in our history books. And we think, wow, if there were more individual heroes like that, Whoo, what a wonderful world this would be. But you know, brothers and sisters, when we think that way, I think we're deceiving ourselves to some degree. Because none of those titans who built America built America alone. Every one of them had a team around them. And yeah, Tom Brady may have seven Super Bowl rings, but he didn't win any of those Super Bowls alone. There were whole staffs of coaches and fellow players without whom he could not have won a single ring. And not to take anything away from the Apostle Paul. I certainly believe he was a rugged individualist. He was a pioneer with a lot of courage. But listen, he didn't start those churches alone. He didn't go on a single one of those missionary journeys alone. He always worked through teams. And so I think today's passage will give us a sense of that. We have a little saying in our culture. It's actually kind of cute. And we say it takes teamwork to make the dream work, right? That's kind of cute, isn't it? It's catchy. We remember that. I'll bet you've used that phrase. I certainly have. And you know what? There's definitely truth in that. And if my count is correct, in today's passage from Colossians chapter 4, there are 11 people that Paul names by name that were a part of his dream team. So today on this final message from the book of Colossians. And by the way, many people just skip this all together. You'll notice that in a lot of churches where they're preaching through Colossians, you, you just kind of finish it with last weekend's passage. But I think that we'll miss something if we do that. So let's wrap it up today by looking at verses 17 all the way through the end because I believe there's a lot of really provocative insights here in these final verses. And I want you to see some of the characteristics of God's dream team. Now, you may be asking, why is this relevant to me? Well, here's why. God's got something for you to do. And whether it's building a business, 
Whether it's working in a ministry, whether it's parenting children, whether it's trying to accomplish some great endeavor in your community, no matter what it is, you will not be able to do that well alone. You need a team. You need some help. You need some people around you that can be a part of the sort of dream team, if you will. So let's look into this, and I invite you all along the way. I'm going to try to personalize it as we come to each of these characteristics. Here's the first one. Christ's dream team is very diverse. Now, when we dive into this in just a moment and start looking at these verses, you're going to see the diversity I'm talking about. There are men and women, there are Jews and Gentiles, there are the poor and the rich, there are distinctly privileged people, and those who are clearly not privileged. You have people who've been incredibly loyal and faithful and consistent, and you have people who've been quite fickle and vacillating at times. But the bottom line is, we're all represented in these verses, All of us find ourselves showing up here in one way or another. So I think we can not only learn, but I think we can be encouraged by looking at their stories. Second characteristic, Christ's dream team members are not all well-known platform personalities. If you have your Bible open there, look with me at verse 7. Here's a strange name. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Now, if I were to ask you, hey, tell me all you know about Tychicus, how much would you be able to share, right? Who is this guy? We know something about Peter, perhaps, in the Bible, or something about the Apostle Paul, or maybe some of the other key figures, John or James, but who in the world is Tychicus? His name shows up five times in the New Testament. And here's the deal. He is one of these behind-the-scenes personalities who's unbelievably faithful, who's solid as the day is long, But few people even know his name because he's not a platform personality. Now, here's the application. Churches like Grace Fellowship, in any church where God has done some pretty special things, listen, it is built on the backs. It is built on the faith. It is built on the service. It is built on the prayers of women and men like Tychicus. Nobody may even know their names. They're certainly not seeking the spotlight, but they're faithful servants of Jesus Christ. And when ministry happens, trust me, they're at the heart of it. When needs are obvious, they're the first ones to step up and say, Lord, could you use me here? And I want to say Grace Fellowship has a lot of people like that. And here's the thing I want you to take away. Every team, every dream team has to have some men and women like that. Because not everybody's contribution is going to be sort of in the spotlight. 
You've got to have people who are working behind the scenes. And here's the good news. It's the Tychicuses of the world that are going to be big in heaven. You know what I think? I think when you get to heaven, you're going to be shocked. You're going to expect to see the marquee names. You're going to expect them to have a front row seat. You're going to expect them to be in the spotlight in heaven. It's not so. Because the first will be last and the last will be first. And I believe the people who are big in heaven are people you've probably never even heard their names. And listen, if that's you, if you're one of those faithful, solid servants who works behind the scenes, I want you to be encouraged today because God not only knows your name, he knows every minute, every deed, everything you've done to serve him and glorify his name. What an encouragement that is. Third characteristic, Christ's dream team members are not all from privileged backgrounds. I read here in verse 9, he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Now, Onesimus is one of my favorite characters in Scripture. In the little book called Philemon in your Bible, it's a tiny little letter. It's uh, one of the shortest books in the New Testament, not the shortest, but one of the shortest. It talks about this man, Onesimus. He was actually a runaway slave. He lived in the city of Colossae. He had probably run away to Rome to try to find a new life of freedom there. But guess what? Somehow he ended up in trouble. He winds up in prison, and as God would have it, in God's providence, there is the Apostle Paul as a fellow prisoner with him. And as they get to talking, Paul realizes that he knows the very person that Onesimus has run away from. Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus. Onesimus becomes a genuine Christian. And so over a period of time, as they continue to talk and get to know each other's story, Paul urges Onesimus to go back to Colossae and to carry this letter with him that Paul is going to write. It's the letter in our Bible called Philemon. And in that letter, Paul urges Philemon to receive Onesimus back no longer as a slave. But better than a slave, he says, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. And I chuckle. I, I, I'll be honest. I chuckle when I read the book of Philemon because it is a masterpiece in psychological pressure. I'm telling you. Paul puts the pressure on in the most wholesome way to Philemon, and he says, look, you welcome him back as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, Philemon, you charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing with this with my own hand. I will pay it back. And then he says, not to mention, you owe me your very self. Woo! I mean, he's, 
He's kind of ramping up the pressure here. Listen, receive this man back no longer as a slave, but as a dear brother. Can I tell you some good news that I know from reading the Bible and from understanding God's gospel of grace? Listen, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is just level. There's no Greek or Jew. There's no slave or free, no male or female, no up and outer, down and outer, no east side of the Hudson or west side of the Hudson. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And the reason I stress this is because I honestly believe that I'm talking to some people today and you have a sort of inferiority complex because of your family of origin or your status in this world. I would hope, I would hope you could get your identity not from your family of origin, not from your job or not from your perceived status in this world, I would hope you could get your identity from the fact that you are in Christ Jesus. That's enough. And when you're in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter about all that other stuff because, as I said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Now, let me just make a plug here for the next two weeks. Next week, I'm starting a brief little mini-series on anxiety And I think I'm going to call it something like uh, curing the anxious heart because anxiety is the number one issue that people in America are dealing with. And there's all kinds of reasons for that as we're going to look at next week. I don't want you to miss this. God has so much to say to us when we're dealing with anxiety and fear and it's gripping our lives. I believe that God wants to give us breakthroughs. But as we're going to see, One of the main sources of anxiety is when your identity is rooted in anything that you can lose. And I'm just telling you today, if your identity is rooted in anything that you can lose, of course you're anxious. Of course you are. Why wouldn't you be? The ground is level at the foot of the cross, and we find our identity as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, no matter what our human pedigree may be. Fourth characteristic, Christ's dream team members stick together through hard times. Verse 10, he says here, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings. Again, there's another name. I mean, what do we know about this guy? Very little. And yet his name shows up five times or so in the New Testament. But he's one of those dream team members. Let me tell you just a little bit about his background. I find this so interesting. Aristarchus was actually in the city of Ephesus when he met Paul for the first time. And Ephesus was a city that was obsessed with goddess worship. They were just obsessed with it. And so as Paul begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ there, this riot breaks out among the people, and they say, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. 
or your translation may say Diana, depending on whether the translation is primarily pulling from the Latin or from the Greek text, it's going to read differently. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, and all hell breaks loose. Get this picture now. A mob literally drags the Apostle Paul and Aristarchus, and they throw them in prison. And so again, here's Paul in prison with this man Aristarchus, and they get to hear each other's story, and they get to have dialogue for hours. Well, now it's sometime later. Paul has now moved on to Rome, and guess what? Paul is in prison again. The guy just can't stay out of jail, you know? He's just one of those, and it's not because of bad things he's doing. It's because of preaching the gospel. And Aristarchus whether voluntarily or against his will, we don't know. Aristarchus is now a fellow prisoner with Paul again in Rome. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you have any people in your life that would take a bullet for you like that? Do you have any people in your life that have gone through traumatic experiences with you? It has a way. It has a way of bonding hearts, does it not? People who've been to war together, veterans will tell you that that is one of the deepest relationships of all. When you've been in that foxhole together, when you've gone through these traumatic experiences of life. Do you have any people who've stood beside you through good times and bad? I want to tell you, Debbie and I are thankful for this church for many reasons, many reasons. Praise God. But one of the main things we're thankful for is there are a lot of sort of Aristarchus-type women and men here today who have been so encouraging to us through both the great victories of life and through some of the downtimes of life. And without their encouragement, I got to tell you, it'd be hard to keep going on. You need dream team members like that. Whatever the endeavor God's called you to, you need men and women like Aristarchus who can be with you even in your darkest hour. Number five, Christ's dream team members, are you ready for this? Have failed badly at times. Now, I just want to make a footnote here for all of you who may not, maybe you're new, maybe you're new to the whole gospel thing, maybe you've not read the Bible much. God's dream team is not made up of people who are nice, pristine, pure people who've never done anything wrong. That's not God's team. In fact, you'll get quite a different story if you read the Bible. God's dream team members are primarily individuals who've blown it badly, but then, by God's grace, came to their senses, came to repentance, and realized how good and gracious and loving God is, and realized that God was extending grace to them. And by God's grace, the Holy Spirit is rebuilding their lives. That's God's team. Not a bunch of people who've stayed 50 miles from the nearest known sin in their life. Colossians 4.10 reads, Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, uh, uh, Mark is a better known character than some of these others. 
Mark, who's sometimes called John Mark in the Bible, by the way, he's that figure in the Gospel of Mark who runs away after a soldier grabs his robe, and he's the first streaker in the Bible. He invented streaking, by the way. John Mark invented streaking, so he's the one who goes running through the garden naked, okay? He doesn't have a stitch of clothing on as far as we know. And John Mark is the one who has the dubious distinction also of being the lightning rod that divided Paul and Barnabas after that first missionary journey. He's the guy who in a place called Pamphylia, when the going got tough, for whatever reason, Mark bailed on them and kind of left them and went his own way. Well, Paul and Barnabas finished that missionary journey, and now it's time for a second missionary journey. And Barnabas says, you know, we got to put another team together here because it takes teamwork to make the dream work, Paul. You know that's true. And so let's get our team together for this second journey. Hey, why don't we invite Mark to go with us? And Paul can't believe it. What? Are my ears stuffed up? How could you have the audacity, or I don't know if it's stupidity or audacity or naivete, how could you even suggest such, such a thing, Barnabas? He quit on us the last time. He's going to quit again. He whipped out. That guy is a loser. And Acts 15 says they had such a sharp disagreement that they actually parted company. And Barnabas took Mark and, and went to Cyprus, and Paul chose a new primary partner named Silas, and they went into Syria. Paul didn't want anything to do with Mark. As far as he was concerned, it's like one strike and you're out. He had kind of canceled him out, if you will, in terms of trusting the guy to work with him again. But Barnabas, whoa, Barnabas comes alongside Mark, the loser, the failure, the guy who went out. Barnabas comes alongside of him and disciples him eventually into maturity. And here's the thing that's really intriguing. Toward the end of Paul's life, in the last letter he wrote, called 2 Timothy, he says, get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Huh. Helpful to me. Paul, you didn't want anything to do with him before. You wouldn't take him on the second missionary journey, and now you say, he's helpful to me in my ministry. Yes, you've got Barnabas to thank for that. Barnabas had the grace. Barnabas had the humility. Barnabas had the patience to work with Mark and disciple him to maturity. Friends, I say to you with all the conviction of my heart, if you live long enough in this world, you're going to have some people who let you down badly, and I mean badly. And if you're like me, you want to write them off forever. One strike, you're out, baby. But I would say this to you based on the testimony of Scripture. We should be very, very, very careful 
before we write anyone off as beyond redemption or beyond help. I hope you let the Holy Spirit just drive that word home to your heart today. We should be very careful before we write anyone off as beyond redemption or beyond God's help. By the way, just as a footnote, we have four gospels in our New Testament, right? You know what one of them is called? Mark. Mark. We've got Barnabas to thank for that. And by the way, we've got 13 letters from Paul in our New Testament. Hey, we can thank Barnabas for that too. You know why? Because if it weren't for Barnabas leaving Antioch and going and finding the Apostle Paul when he was living in obscurity and urging him to come back to Antioch with him and then helping launch Paul in his apostolic ministry, then humanly speaking, humanly speaking, there's no reason to believe we would have those 13 letters of Paul either. So before we leave this and quickly move on, let me ask you, do you encourage people or do you diminish them? Trust me, I, I can get groups of people together that I know and I can, I can kind of stack them up side by side and I can go, wow, based on my experience, these people are encouragers and these most of the time are kind of diminishers. Which are you? Oh, how we need more encouragers like Barnabas because in my personal experience, in my observation, more Christians are on the sidelines in terms of usefulness to God. More Christians are sidelined because of discouragement than immorality. It's discouragement that gets Christians. And they become, for all practical purposes, rather useless as far as God's mission goes. But we need to move on. Number six. Christ's dream team has players who are extraordinary prayer warriors. It has members who are extraordinary prayer warriors. I like verse 11. It says, Jesus, who is called justice, also sends greetings. Did you know that Paul worked with a team member named Jesus? Really, it's true. Jesus was his name. That was a common name in that day, by the way. It wasn't just this really rare name. It was very common in the culture. But I, I, I imagine, I don't know this for sure, but I imagine that got a little confusing at times. Well, let's pray to Jesus. Oh, no, not you, Jesus, not you. The, the, the real Jesus, well, you're real too, but hey, why don't we just change your name and avoid all the confusion? And so they changed Jesus' name to justice. I think that is hilarious. But then he goes on to verse 12 and says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's one of you. That means that he is from Colossae. And by the way, Epaphras, if you remember, way back in our very first message in the series, chapter 1, verse 7, says that you learned it. That is, you learned the gospel of God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras. He's the one 
who went from Ephesus where Paul was preaching and a revival was breaking out, and Epaphras is the one who first took the gospel to Colossae. I love that description. He's a servant of Christ Jesus. And then I love what it says. He's always wrestling in prayer for you. Isn't that a great description? He's wrestling in prayer. That's what we might call today a prayer warrior. He's not just praying, he's wrestling in prayer for you. And I would suggest to you that people who wrestle with God in prayer, I really believe this with all my heart, it may be the most significant ministry in the church. But that's never gonna be a popular ministry. Because wrestling with God in prayer I believe, has to be a unique calling, a unique grace on your life. But that leads me to the seventh amazing characteristic of these dream team members. Number seven, Christ's dream team has some unsung heroes. Verse 14 says, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Now, when I've been in big groups and small groups, and whenever I ask this question, who wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else, people always get it wrong. If you just throw that question, who wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else, they're always gonna answer Paul. That's a wrong answer. Yes, Paul wrote more letters than anyone else, but if you look at the actual words, at the actual amount of content, Luke wrote the most because Luke wrote the gospel according to Luke and he wrote the Acts of the Apostles. And if you look at the actual amount of material in both of those compared to Paul's letters, Luke actually wrote considerably more than Paul. He's one of those unsung heroes. And he ended up in Rome with Paul. He's this trustworthy historian. He's a medical doctor. He's an articulate writer. Luke is one of the unsung heroes of the Bible. And he says there in verse 14, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. No team, no team can win great victories. No team can see great effectiveness and progress and accomplishment without some unsung heroes. And one of the things I love about the Christian worldview and what the Bible reveals to us about God, here's what I love, is that everything you've ever done in his name is written down in a book. And one day, there will be a tremendous reward for the people like Luke who have worked behind the scenes as unsung heroes. Number eight, Christ's dream team has some members who formerly were unreliable. Now, Demas is a person who traveled with Paul on several occasions, but sadly, at the end of his life, he apparently went off the rails. Again, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, it says, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. I want you to wrap your mind around that for a moment. Think of this. Demas, he'd had a front row seat 
to boatloads of miracles that God did through the Apostle Paul. He, he was at the very forefront of the gospel enterprise and the apostolic expansion in those days. He's been right alongside Paul in some of the most exciting moments imaginable for the church. And then, and then, he fell in love with the world. What? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the sinful pride of life took him down into this dark cavern of backsliding and he deserted Paul in his time of greatest need. Don't be so proud or so naive to think it can't happen to you. There's one final thing I want to mention. Christ's dream team has some members, oh, this is cool, who actually host the church in their homes. He says in verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. The only time Nympha's ever mentioned in the Bible. She's this somewhat mysterious woman. She hosts a church in her house. We don't know anything else about her. And then he gives a shout out in verse 17 to Archippus. He says, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. And by the way, it doesn't say there that Archippus is hosting a church, but in the book of Philemon, it says that. It says that Archippus is a fellow soldier and there's a church that meets in his home. Now, here's the point I want to make about that. Some of the greatest members of Christ's dream team are those who hosted house churches in their homes. Apparently, there were a multiplicity of churches in Colossae. What a weird idea. One church meeting at many locations. You ever heard of that? That's kind of strange, isn't it? Wow. It happened then. It happens today. They met in people's homes like Archippus and Nympha. And one was a man. One was a woman. And some of those early believers had homes that were apparently large enough that they could accommodate groups of people and literally host the church in their home. By the way, hope you know, the church owned no buildings. There were no church buildings designated as such for at least three centuries. It was not until the Edict of Milan, sometimes called the Edict of Toleration from the Emperor Constantine in 313 AD, that finally Christianity was tolerated. And that meant, especially after 325, when it was made the official religion of the Roman Empire, it meant that now, guess what? What a strange thing. Churches could now actually own buildings. Weird. Up until then, it had been all done in people's homes or in catacombs or down by the river in open places wherever they could meet. But now finally, finally, they could actually have church buildings. And I, we've been living with the repercussions of that ever since, both the upsides and some very real downsides of owning buildings. But here's the main thing I want you to get. 
If anybody says to you, where is Grace Fellowship? You'd probably say, well, it's at 165 High Rock Avenue, or it's at 20 Delator Road, or it's at One Enterprise Drive, and those are indeed the buildings that we meet in for convenience. But, but if someone were to say to you, hey, hey, where is Grace Fellowship on Mondays? I hope you wouldn't answer, well, at 20 Delator Road, even though we'll still be here, and at all those other locations. I would hope you would know that Grace Fellowship is all across the Capital District and beyond. It's meeting in hospitals, in schools, in office complexes. Grace Fellowship on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays is in factories. It's in university classrooms. We're meeting in homes. We're meeting in coffee shops and all over the place. Now, we're going to keep on meeting at 165 High Rock Avenue and One Enterprise Drive and Half Moon, and we're going to keep meeting at 20 Delator Road, but make no mistake, the church is not the place, the church is the people. So after the first service today, I was just out in the lobby, just greeting a lot of people and enjoying some fellowship time. And it just became kind of cool because every person I saw just said, hey, you're one of those dream team members. And we would laugh, maybe give a fist pump. But that's what you are. That's what you are if you belong to Jesus Christ. And he has something he wants you to do with your life. But let me say it again. Let me come full circle you're not going to be able to do it alone. The things that God accomplishes through men and women of faith are done in teams. What does your team look like? Father, I ask that you would drive this message supernaturally home to our hearts. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive. And I pray today for those that are maybe a bit discouraged, like apparently Archippus was, that they would be able to hear from the Holy Spirit, complete the work you've received in the Lord, and they would keep on going. And I pray, oh God, that you would cause those in our midst who maybe need some encouragement, to have some encouragers around them, not diminishers, but people who would kind of build them up and spur them on to love and good deeds. And we are so grateful that you've called us not to live as heroes in isolation, but as members of a much grander, bigger, more awesome team than we could ever imagine. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.